Evidence and Answers. For decades, atheism appeared to be the dominant worldview of Western civilization. However, in recent years, atheism has been losing its foothold as the dominant worldview of the West. Compelling evidence has arisen that provide powerful arguments for the existence of an intelligent creator and the supernatural. Instead of the death of religion, could we be seeing the downfall of atheism? Welcome to today's edition of Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucharin. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat discusses the downfall of atheism with Dr. Gary Habermas, a distinguished professor of research at Liberty University. Dr. Habermas presents recent evidences that have shaken the strongholds of atheism in our culture today. Let's join Pat now as he discusses the downfall of atheism with Gary Habermas. Have you seen one or more miracles in your own practice? And I think the figure was about 40% of them said, yes, I have. Yes, I have. Now, to me, 40% is still a minority, but that was a startlingly large percentage from what I had been taught coming up in graduate school in the 1970s. Wow, that's uh, amazing. Yeah, it I know, is. I know there's a difference when I talk to scientists in you know the theoretical sciences or in the labs, and those I guess we'd call them the practical sciences. You know, those out there applying the science and those in the medical field. And right. yeah, I often hear two different perspectives from those camps there. Maybe, Pat, I don't know, but like you said, the atheists you've talked to, maybe the distinction is between those who really do believe the hard core atheism and naturalism and those who do it not because they're so convinced or not because they see an airtight case, but because they don't want to look stupid or they don't want to go against their professors or they want to teach what they've had in school. Maybe that reflects some of that, the differences. Yes. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. In, in fact, I'll tell you this. I won't mention the schools because I don't want to bring embarrassment on, on a particular school and have them say, oh, if that's the way it is, then we're not, we're not going to have you guys back anymore. But I've had two experiences, one already passed and one coming here briefly. I just was over in Sweden for uh, two weeks. I spoke, I didn't count, somebody else counted and told me. I spoke 42 times in two weeks, which is a lot of travel. And I was introduced in Sweden as, they'd say things like this, welcome to the most liberal country in the world. That's how they would introduce me. And the culture was very modernistic. I mean that in the modern, postmodern debate. There were a lot of postmodern, you know, hangover, but very scientific culture, very skeptical culture. And I was invited to speak to a medical school there. And I have a prominent medical school that I have to speak at in a few weeks here in the States. I've been invited both places. Uh, to come to both places. The one in Sweden, I spoke on a lecture very much like the one you introduced today, something like signs of supernaturalism or something. There were about 100, 125 students at this medical facility, and they were very upbeat. It was probably the most upbeat crowd I spoke to while I was there in Sweden, 42 messages, and this is probably the one that was most upbeat, because it was almost like the people were coming up to me saying, 
wow, you mean we can believe in something again? That's kind of like what they were saying. <laughs> wow. uh, one of them said this to me, Pat, after it was over. This guy said, well, you know, I thought about asking a question, because I gave, I gave ten indications that a supernatural worldview is here. And the guy came up to me and he said, hey, I was thinking about questioning one of your areas, but then I realized when you just kept giving another area and another one and another one and another one that I couldn't handle all the evidence. And I might be able to ask a critical question about one of the areas, but you had ten. He said, I, I just couldn't do anything with that evidence. And so the, another one's coming up here in the U.S. I've got to go to medical school in just, just about a, exactly a month and speak here. It's a well-known medical school. And they've asked me to come speak on this topic, uh, not just what's wrong with naturalism, but they're asking me to give some of these recent reasons that indicate that the supernatural worldview. So maybe some people are just a little bit less afraid to talk today or admit that their discipline isn't entirely uniform, I, you know, and it's evidence. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Now, you talked about the evidence here. So what sort of evidence is emerging in just the last few decades that dispute naturalistic claims? Yeah, and, I, and that's what I do emphasize, Pat, that this information is largely just in the last few decades, like you, like you said. Now, maybe I should explain that. Some of my evidences concern ancient events. For example, anybody who knows me, as you started out with the introduction, anybody who knows me knows I'm not going to get very far away from the resurrection. And somebody might say, last few decades? That's not fair. That's an event or claimed event from 2,000 years ago. Okay, not all the events I do are in the last two decades, but the evidence for them has emerged only in the last decades. So it may be modern sorts of phenomena, like near-death experiences, or it may be past phenomena, like the resurrection of Jesus. But the chief evidence for all these categories, I maintain, have come about in the last 25 years. And secondly, of the 10 categories that I speak about, there's more than 10, but the 10 that I often speak about, four of them evidence religion in general, and the other six evidence Christianity in particular. So I guess this four evidences that religion in general is true, I guess to, evidence, to illustrate that, years ago, one of my students gave me a full-color magazine put out by Hare Krishna, you know, certainly a, an Eastern-type offshoot of Hindu thought. And the lead article in this Krishna magazine the lead article was a Ph.D. in physics arguing cosmology and arguing that God existed. Now, that's what I mean by the first four evidences, supernatural world, but not necessarily a Christian worldview. In other words, Buddhists, Hindus, animists could potentially all say amen to some recent cosmology or certainly they could say amen to near-death experiences. So four of them are in that category, and I would count those as things like recent cosmology, arguments for God's existence, intelligent design or fine-tuning arguments, and near-death experiences. Those would be the general categories that I think almost anybody who's religious would kind of be at least open to, if not pro. But some of the Christian ones 
I would say that the best, by far, the best evidence for the resurrection of Jesus has only emerged in the last 25 years. I would talk about experiments of the Shroud of Turin. Again, the topic is old, but the evidence is new. I would talk about Craig Keener's book, which I've already introduced, Evidence for Contemporary Miracle Claims. Now, Craig's are all in the Christian tradition, but I don't doubt, and he doesn't doubt, that we would find some similar stories in non-Christian traditions. We, we don't you know, doubt that at all. But the ones that, a lot of the ones that Craig and a few other authors are producing, are that they are accompanied by pre and post x-rays, pre and post CAT scans, pre and post MRIs. And right now, the vast majority of those are Christian. So that's an example. Another one, I know there's uh, issues with this, and some people want to argue both sides, but another category would be double-blind prayer experiments, where the best-known prayer experiments, a lot of them have been utter failures, to be frank, these prayer experiments, but the two best-known double-blind ones, the highly evidential ones, have both been done, interestingly enough, with evangelical prayers. People doing the praying have been evangelical. So, and then another trend that's just recently come about in recent historical Jesus studies, topic is old, evidence is new, is the fact that scholars seem to be very open to now that Jesus predicted his resurrection ahead of time. So you say, well, you've already said resurrection. Right. But what's significant about predicting the resurrection is it's one thing to rise from the dead. It's still different to have risen from the dead after you told people you would rise from the dead. That multiplies the, I think, supernatural quality of the resurrection. So I think, I may have left one of them out, but I think you put all these together, and that's basically my four arguments for religion in general, six arguments for Christianity in particular. Wow. Well, let's take a look at the first few here. You said cosmology here. What are some evidences we find in cosmology? I think you stated what the, the Big Bang or that the universe has a beginning. Well, there's a wide variety of these. Uh, you could mm-hmm. be talking about philosophical arguments for God's existence, like the Kalam argument, which is many people think is a very powerful argument for God's existence. Or you could be talking about science, like you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And for those who think, uh, those are, I mean, not everyone's convinced there's a Big Bang, but those who think there is, in fact, I just heard recently some scientists complaining that they think the evidence is problematic, some, some non-Christian scientists. But for those who think that the Big Bang, which is probably the majority of intellectuals today, the question is, if you take the view that time plus, you know, time, space, and matter are born in this event, there's no before. If time is born at the Big Bang, there's no, well, what came before? There's no before. Before came at the Big Bang. But we all know what the person's asking they're not necessarily talking about before the Big Bang, like on your watch in time, but they're talking about where did it come from? Where did it arise from? And that's Anthony Flew's question, and that's back to Aristotle and others. Why is there something rather than nothing? C.S. Lewis said, if there ever was a time when nothing existed, nothing would exist now. So... For those who think there is a Big Bang, probably the majority of Western scholars today, why did it come about? 
what led to it. And that's cosmology. That's one of the major areas of cosmology. And like I said, you've got a number of strongly argued philosophical arguments for God's existence. All of these are relevant. Yeah, another one you mentioned was intelligent design. Now, are we right. seeing this movement make inroads there in the scientific community? I'm not a scientist, but I know and I've taught alongside some of the, the major names in this movement, and this is just, you know, Gary Habermas's non-scientific look at this. But what I think, what seems to be happening, is you have a number of people arguing for intelligent design and fine-tuning type arguments, fine-tuning in the sense of there's a lot of things that have to be explained. One recent scientist said more than 100 recent factors that have to be explained in the world where the world is just right for human habitation or intelligent design. How do you get things like, uh, say, Michael Behe or Bill Dembski? How do we get life the way it is thousands of years before, you know, that particular creature would have come to full development? Why was it developing in, a, in an area to preserve life when it would not help itself or the next hundred generations. So I was a working in that area. What you see is, again, the, the Gary Habermas non-official view, I think what you see is a lot of scientists hate, despise intelligent design and fine-tuning type arguments because it is playing with their belief system. And and I think Michael Roos, the name came up earlier in this interview already, Michael Roos has said in interviews, and he complained one time, if anybody knows anything about me, unfortunately it's going to be an article, it's going to be something he said in a Canadian publication about, I think about 10 years ago, where he said certain forms of anti-intelligent design evolution is religious in nature. He's saying that the non-Christian, atheistic evolutionists have their own religion, that their form of evolution is a religion. And when they hate on intelligent design, it's because it goes against their religion. Well, they were angry when he said this, but he stuck to his guns and he said, I didn't say all scientists were like this, but for some, evolution's a, a religion. And I think what's happening, Pat, I'm just again, my view, they're saying, no, 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 we can't allow it in. We can't do a publication. We can't let you get on board. We can't let you get in our journal. We can't let you talk about this. And then somebody over here allows them in. And then somebody over there allows them in. And then somebody here says, I'm still a naturalist, but like flu or, you know, like Denton and so on. And they're going to say, like Nagel. And then I think the walls are starting to come down is what I'm saying. They started by saying, we can't admit these. You know, you know, it's like, you know, we just got past Christmas. It's like Rudolph couldn't join any reindeer games. <laughs> you know, intelligent design can't join any reindeer games. And then one person lets them play. And then two people let them play. And three people let them play. And, and now it looks like there's some holes in the dike. Well, near-death experiences, the resurrection, the Shroud of Turin, we've done interviews with you on that, so I'll turn our listeners to the past interviews we've had with Dr. Gary Habermas on these issues. But the one I wanted to hear about is Keener on miracles. How yep. is that proof, especially proof for Christian theism? 
Well, that's a great question. And right off the bat, since I already made this comment, let me come back to it. To the extent to which, if we do find world religious examples, let's say Hinduism, to the same extent, maybe this slides into the general religion category and out of the Christian category. But right now, the major works that I know of, a medical doctor named Gardner, a medical doctor named Kasdorf, a recent philosopher, Robert Larmer, who's done an appendix in his book, Secular Book on Miracles, and of course, Craig Keener. Cases have been produced with some really heavy evidence, scientific evidence, and right now they're done in a Christian context. So until someone moves that over to the general religious category, it's in the category of the Christian worldview. That's how I would explain that. Now, Craig Keener has over a thousand pages in his two volumes, and most of them are anecdotal. Most of them he's simply telling stories because he's arguing against David Hume's thesis that miracles are not reported, and Craig's saying, for right now, I'm just going to report them. And then someone says, well, all these are hearsay. All you're doing is telling stories. But there are a number of accounts in Keener. I pulled some of them out and made a document of them myself. But a number of Craig Keener's accounts have the pre and post CAT scans, pre and post MRIs, pre and post X-rays to show that something's really happened. And some of these are just, I mean, Pat, they're just amazing. Like, I'll give you just one, and it's brief. Maybe my favorite one is that this little child had a club foot. And because one of my best friends... His grandchild just had to have operation on two club feet. Both feet were club feet. This is kind of on my mind. And this little child had a club foot and had to have it operated on so the foot would open, so to speak, and the child could walk. Well, this Christian minister prayed for this child. The doctor said, yeah, that's okay. You can, you can pray for the child. And they prayed, and the doctor kind of said, I was cheating. I kept my eyes open, and I watched this little foot open up right in front of my eyes i saw the foot open and we didn't have to do the surgery wow now yeah it's that kind of thing uh, a little boy who had to have a kidney removed for medical reasons had to have a kidney removed goes in for his post-op checkup and he's got a kidney there you could say all you want i mean he's got two kidneys he's got a kidney in the place of the one that was taken and you could say that's a bunch of baloney. Okay, fine. Then you explain the pre and post x-ray. You explain the post, pre and post MRI. You explain the pre and post CAT scan. How do you account for the kidney being there? Well, somebody took the picture wrong. Okay. Well, what did they take out when they removed the kidney? You know, and why is the scar on his back? And it's just things like that. And some of these accounts are just unbelievable but there's pre and post evidence for them wow that's powerful it is yeah well let's move to this last one here that jesus predicted his resurrection why has that come to prominence here well in recent years not all critical scholars agree with this but in recent years there's been a real movement toward what's called the criteria as establishing the historicity of gospel passages. In other words, these are rules. This account is very embarrassing. This account has eyewitness testimony. This account is very early. 
this account has multiple sources. You know, in the ancient world, a lot of events in the ancient world are regarded as true, and they only have one report. But a number of the gospel reports have many, many accounts. For example, the famous skeptic, Bart Ehrman, probably the best-known skeptical scholar in North America, he lists 11 independent sources for the crucifixion of Jesus. 11 independent sources, and four of them are not even in the New Testament. So that's an example. In an age where two sources make something almost you know, foolproof, he's got 11. So those are criteria, those are rules. And there are six different reasons, given the critics' rules, the critics' rules, there are six different reasons to argue for the historicity of the predictions of Jesus' resurrection. Now, these have been published by a good friend of mine, Mike Lacona, former student of mine, who's written this huge 700-page defense of the resurrection published by InterVarsity, and he's made an argument for this, and it's been, it's been published, the argument for these predictions, has been published in a one of the most prestigious, non-evangelical, historical Jesus peer-reviewed publications. They've published his article, and uh, critics are basically open now to the fact that Jesus believed, taught, had premonitions, predicted his death and his resurrection and or his exaltation after death. Wow, that's fascinating. What lines of evidence does the Lacona cite here? Well, uh, these would be some of the examples. Jesus predicts his resurrection, and his disciples say things like, oh, no way. I mean, that's silly. We'll stand with you till the very end. Well, that's the criterion of embarrassment. Why would early New Testament writers, why would they say something embarrassing about Peter or now I'm going over to the resurrection here a little bit, but when James, the brother of Jesus, who's an unbeliever, he meets the risen Jesus. When Paul, the skeptic, meets the risen Jesus, why would the New Testament be saying things about their founders that the brother of Jesus was an unbeliever, that the most famous apostle, Paul, was a persecutor of the church, that when Jesus predicted his resurrection, Peter said, no way, and I'll stand with you till the end, and then he denies his Lord three times. Those are embarrassing passages, but when Jesus predicted it, his own followers didn't accept them. They're multiply attested, like I just said. Bart Ehrman has 11 sources for the crucifixion. To be real honest with you, I forget how many sources Mike comes up with for the predictions of Jesus' resurrection, but I think there's in the neighborhood of a half dozen, which is a half dozen sources are a lot when a lot of events you know, rest on just one or two sources. So these are some of the reasons. Also, multiple genre, multiple, for example, you find it in Jesus' teachings, you find it in his parables, you find it in different kinds of literature, which critics also accept as a different evidence. Well, Gary, you know, as we close the interview here, you're very optimistic here that we're going to (laughs) see the downfall of, or the downturning of atheism as the dominant worldview here. Well, what are some words of encouragement that you can give us here for those of us who maybe aren't as optimistic as you are here? <laughs> yeah, that could be. I, I may be overdoing it, Pat. I'll admit that, and sometimes I get really excited about things. But I think it's hard to refute this evidence. And, you know, I'm getting near the end of my career, but we have a lot of young people 
who are starting and they're learning apologetics. And I would say it is more exciting today to be a Christian with evidence than ever before. There's more evidence out there. And someone doesn't have to agree with me that naturalism is already lost. I, I don't even argue that it's already lost. I just argued that the evidence is going against it. Someone could disagree with me on that, but they still have to explain away these ten areas, four for general religion and six for Christianity. There's a lot of empirical evidence here. I mean, near-death experiences alone present many, many, many reasons why naturalism is false. And in my whole career, I started as I was a doubter and a skeptic for uh, about ten years. I just wondered about the evidence, and I'm seeing these things come up in my own lifetime. I think this is the most exciting time to be a Christian because of the evidence. And I'll close with this thought. When I was in, in Sweden, they called it an atheistic nation and an atheistic culture. They called it the most liberal in the world. And yet they said apologetics is out of control today. It's so popular in Sweden because that's the way they're spreading the message. Anybody can witness and do the four spiritual laws of the Romans Road, but for people who want evidence, they're saying apologetics is alive and well in Sweden today. I think that's what we have ahead of us, and, and we don't have to agree on whether naturalism's going or gone. I think we have to ask, rather, for the skeptics, how do you disprove these evidences? Wow, that's powerful. You've been listening to our interview here on Evidence and Answers with Dr. Gary Habermas, a distinguished research professor at Liberty University, the chairman of the Department of Philosophy there, and a prolific author. And any book he writes, I highly recommend that you get. One of my favorite, The Historical Jesus, and a recent one, Why is God Ignoring Me? So, Gary, thanks for being with us this week on Evidence and Answers. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Pat. This concludes Pat's interview with Dr. Gary Habermas on the downfall of atheism. If you would like to hear this interview in its entirety, log on at evidenceandanswers.org. We would also like to invite you to this year's Hawaii Apologetics Conference featuring Dr. Gary Habermas, Ron Rhodes, and other great speakers. This year's conference will be held February 28th through March 1st at the Kalihi Union Church in Honolulu. Our theme this year is Evidence for Life Beyond the Grave. Seminar topics include near-death experiences, the truth about ghosts, mediums, and psychic phenomena, the Shroud of Turin, the wonder of heaven, and so much more. To register, log on at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat is the director of the Pacific Apologetics Center, a subsidiary ministry of the Bible Institute of Hawaii. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by this show, please support Pat in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Join us again next week as Pat and his friends provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.